The Education Channel supports individual educational goals and encourages creativity for all. Visit uctv.tv slash education. Well, welcome to Creative Conversations. I am pleased to welcome Dr. Victor Mincis, who's the Assistant Research Scientist at UCSD. And I'm glad to have you with uh, Morgan Appel and myself, Victor. Thank you very much. Thanks for having me here. Jumping right into our creative conversation, we follow this format, which is really just to learn more about who you are and how did you get to this place that you're at um, right now. So maybe if you would just describe, you know, how did you get to UCSD? What, what does that look like for you right now? What are you doing? Yeah. How many hours do we have? Uh, so I, I had a very winding path. Um, I, I feel I should start in elementary school uh, where I loved art and I loved science. Uh, and then um, even though I went to really good schools, at some point in high school, I started hating science. Um, and that's because the teachers that I had. Um, and I would say probably the education system. And uh, so I finished high school not knowing anything about math, hating science and loving art. I spent most of my high school just drawing. And uh, I studied fine arts for a couple of years until I think I was healed of that hate. And I started catching interested, interest in science and I studied, started studying physics just to play around. Uh, which is very easy in a system like Argentina in which school is free and it has open access. So you just sign up and you go. Not everybody finishes, but many, but, but it's really easy to start. I think that's a great thing. If I didn't have that opportunity, I wouldn't be here. Um, and, uh, I started studying physics and I fell in love with the physics and with the people that, that I met there. So I progressively, um, I abandoned art as an academic path, although I continue doing art. Um, and, uh, and focus in physics and through physics, I got really interested in neuroscience because I had a great teacher, Gabriel Mindin, which studied the, the bird song from a physics and neuroscience point of view. I was fascinated by that. And I got into the neuroscience computation neuroscience program in UCSD, which is a program that seeks to understand biology and the brain kind of like thinking that it's like a computer, not so much in terms of molecules, but in terms of processes. Um, and that's what I got my PhD in. I was very interested in sensory perception, which is very related to science and how the brain codifies the senses. What happens in our brain when we listen into sounds, when we see images, how those things are represented. Um, and uh, I did that for a few years. And then I wanted to do something that has a more direct impact on society than basic research. So uh, basic research is wonderful, but if you're lucky, you will see the, the fruits of your work being useful for society like 15 or 20 years from now. Um, and I wanted, to, I wanted something more immediate. And then Andrea Chiba, my graduate advisor and my life advisor, um, told me, hey, do you want to work on this project um, that involves uh, computers? Um, um, yeah, like math, uh, music, uh, 
and children and education. So it's all the things that I love, you know, art, science and, and public service. And I was like, yeah, sure. Um, so I started working on the cognitive science of music, uh, trying to understand the influence of music making in education and the role that music might have in schools. While doing that, um, I also started doing outreach uh, in schools to teach the kids about the science of music, the physics of music, which is something that I learned when I was in uh, in, uh, in college. The first time I learned about the physics of music, it blew my mind and it changed the way that I listen to things. I, I listen to things very different now because I know how sound works from a physical point of view. So I started sharing that with students and the students flipped out. They, they loved it. And at some point, I realized that that's where I could have my biggest uh, impact on society. Not only that, but um, it was also very rewarding because when I bring a, one, one experience like that to a school and the kids go like, whoa, I just, it just, you know, it, it fills my heart. Um, and it also gave me the opportunity of being very creative because I could do something that I like, which is like do art. You know, I, I create musical instruments. I create musical experiences or sound experiences. Um, so it's a, it's a, it's something that, uh, encompass a lot of the things that, that I like. And, um, I decided to do, to turn that into my main job. So I applied. Uh, for a grant for the National Science Foundation. And uh, I am very fortunate that, um, that I have it and, and that this is my job. So, um, yeah, I've, I've been committing all of my time to that and we have created a wonderful program and wonderful web applications that are being used uh, throughout the nation. And I'm sure you have questions about that. Yeah, absolutely. Um, Victor, I, I'm particularly um, encouraged by your journey. Um, you know, I, uh, my background is in the arts. I am actually a science phobe. I was never successful in the sciences. But as I think back to the Renaissance, and even as recently as something like the Bauhaus, um, the arts and the sciences were not separated. They were all part of a, a an interwoven tapestry of of education. And I know that, you know, when you look at the uh, more advanced sciences, the further that you get, the more artistic it they become. It's 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 less about regimentation and, and more about creativity. So I'm I'm curious as to how what you see the relationship between arts and the sciences are. So, for example, is art a science? Is science a, a form of art? What do you think? Uh, yes to all. So, uh, first of all, the relationship between art and science is particularly strong in the realm of sound and music. Music was one of the, I think it was called quadrinium or something like that. I don't remember the name. Uh, they were like music, philosophy, physics, and, and math, something like that, that everybody had to study. And the kind of things that we do that relate to frequencies um, have been studied in a both scientific and musical way since Pythagoras. 
Um, regarding creativity, yes, absolutely. I think people have the idea that science is something that is very dry uh, and, um, and art something that is totally free. Um, and uh, in a way, I, I don't think any of those is completely right. Um, being logic will allow you to solve a problem, maybe, but it will not allow you to choose what problem to solve, which is the most important thing in science, I would say, is what makes the, what we study meaningful. You might solve a really hard problem that is totally useless. Um, and even for solving a problem, you need to be creative. And at the same time, art, I don't think is, I don't think is free in, um, I don't think it's lax. It is free. It should be free. But, um, but I remember a Borges quote that says that, um, writing poetry without metrics is like playing tennis without a net. <laughs> it's just boring. If there's no rules at all, if there's not something that organize what you do is, I think it becomes boring. Um, and, um, and in my art, I'm, I'm doing sound art now. It's all about, you know, tweaking things, trying new things, finding out, okay, why, why is this not doing the sound that I want? I need to, I need to use this other material or, you know, um, so I end up, it, it, it becomes a lot like engineering. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah, and, and I can even look at a Jackson Pollock, for example, and see that there is mathematics there embedded there somewhere. And and the relationship, I think the lines are increasingly blurred if there were ever lines before. Yeah, yeah I'm actually kind of touched by what you said because I just had a meeting with uh, some people yesterday that are trying to uh, establish an art collective. And uh, one of the artists was... Um, was kind of like a light designer, which makes uh, like masks or helmets or, or clothing with LEDs. Uh, and he makes wonderful things. And he's right at, at the intersection of, um, of art and, and technology. Um, and the tools that we have now made all that much more democratic because it's really easy to have some of those uh, tools at home. By the way, so Sora Naderi, which you interviewed last week, mm -hmm. she also has some uh, wonderful pieces integrating uh, fashion and, and technology. She really does. Yeah. I would love to, to continue this because it speaks to my heart what you're saying. And going back to what you mentioned early on about kind of like your hate for math and, and physics. And then Morgan, you, you seconded that. I thirded. <laughs> And and it was interesting because I, I feel like if I would have had access to science in a way um, that really propelled me, because I, I loved physics in 12th grade, but it was it was very much a linear way of looking at it. And to think of, of how we met uh, Morgan, Victor and I, was, uh, he visited one of our classrooms where he was actually like Blue Man Group with uh, the PVC and making sounds and and you know, really trying to to integrate 
something different, like almost like a philosophy. It felt like as you were talking, Victor, and I'll never forget because we walked outside, you know, we had a beautiful campus and, and we walked outside and it was a sunny day. And, and you said, you know, something like math is all around us. Physics is all around us, you know, and it's kind of like my, my purpose is to, you know, have students understand that math isn't just this, you know, numbers and these linear pieces. And I'd love to just learn more about that aspect of, of what you're doing right now with, with our young people, because I'm thinking about myself and, you know, how do you, how are you opening up and, and what does that look like? And and how is it meaningful to you to be doing this work? So, yes, um, I, I say, uh, Physics is all around us, and uh, I think a problem in education is that they, for some reason, they keep doing this. They they keep bringing physics and math to um, an abstract um, place that people cannot connect with, and they cannot connect with for a good reason. And the reason is the things that they want students to learn are useless. And I'm not saying they're useless in that they're totally useless. We're using a computer and all those things were used to make a computer. But most people will not be making a computer. Only a very few will be making a computer. And yet the education system, particularly as it relates to science, appears to be geared to create only those people that will be creating computers. Um, and I think that's a big error because... Um, what is happening is that it, it is creating a lot of very frustrated people that just feel disconnected and that probably even hate science. There's an anti-science feeling in society. And I wonder to what degree um, this approach to science education is at least in part uh, related to that. And if they taught science in a way that really connects with with people's lives and interests, I don't think we would be losing any um, electronic engineers. I think we would have even more electronic engineers and we would have more people with a very strong science uh, and engineering foundation that then, if they choose to, could become those electronic engineers. Um, So... Part of the goal of my program is to make the everyday science visible. Um, when I was saying when, when I studied physics, um, the physics of sounds really blew, blew my mind. And one of the things that blew my mind was the first time that I saw my voice represented as a wave in an oscilloscope. An oscilloscope is something that allows you to record data, for example, from a microphone, and then visualize it. So the first time I saw that, I was like, whoa, you know? And uh, as I said, it really changed my perception of the world because there's all this world of sound that is around us, and we might just think about it as a sensory stimulus, but, but but there are certain tools that can allow us to visualize sound as a physical object. And then when you understand that sound is a physical object, um, it acquires a new meaning, you know? I, I'm, I'm listening uh, a big dog bark and a little dog bark and the 
big dog goes like blah, 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 and the little dog goes like bee, bee, bee. and and I can sort of understand why one is having a deeper voice than the other. I can understand that because they're uh, they're uh, sort of dog vocal cords. I don't know how you call them. Uh, might be heavier. They will vibrate more slowly, and that creates um, a deeper, a lower pitch sound. So knowing a little bit about the physics of waves, it really changes your your perception of the world and enriches your perception of the world. And I think that is something it, that is something that I want to bring to schools, and I, I that is something that I want to promote through um, through my art. Um, and I do think that people connect with that. I do think that it that the students seem to connect with that, seem to understand, seem to draw connections between what they learn and everyday uh, sound experiences that they have. Victor, I, I'm curious because you, you really are uh, alluding to a, a sense of confidence and competence and in, in joy in doing this kind of work. And I think that, you know, our, our fear of sciences, our fear of mathematics are around the time um, that we start losing confidence our, in our own arts, which is around third grade where, uh, you know, we're coloring outside the lines and we're told, no, that doesn't look like a dog and those sorts of things. So now, um, given what we know about plasticity early on um, in, in childhood, when is the best place to start all of this sort of thing? Um, so you so you do uh, continue to develop with a with a love of science, a love of art, but certainly not s- separately as an interwoven discipline. I would say that the best uh, time to start is today. If you have not done it your whole life, I mean, I meet people that I say, hey, do you play an instrument? No, I'm not good. I'll never be good. You know, I I, I'm a bad musician, I, and I'm still I'm a really bad guitar player. But I'm still playing guitar because I love the sound, and because tomorrow I will be better than today. But is this a curriculum, for example, or an approach that you could use in preschool or in kindergarten, or do you have to wait till for a certain age? Do you think? No, I think so. So the web applications. For example, the web applica- the, the general concept of my program uh, is good even for babies, I would say. And even and the web applications, I had kind of babies, like eight months old babies, uh, touching the screen. So one of my applications is a spectrogram, which is it is a science tool, but we switched the we added functionality so you can also use it for making sound and music. If you didn't try it, I recommend you try it. If you have uh, little kids in your life, definitely show it to them. So this tool turns your computer screen into a heart. So you can drag, drag your feet, your uh, your fingers through your screen and you keep, you know, and you can play blues, you can play, you know, you can choose the musical scales. So I've seen babies touching on the screen and they go like, oh, you know, so um, the, the level of depth that you can get through them is even good for, uh, for uh, first or second year college courses on like mm-hmm. engineering, physics of waves. It goes all the way up 
um, and, a and a baby and a little kid will not get that level of depth, but they will get some. They, they will get they will get the experience. They will get the idea um, that you can manipulate sound, that you can uh, play with sound and visualize sound at the same time. The we have been focusing on um, on middle school on eighth grade, and we have some lesson plans that are focused on eighth grade. But um, I think they're being used in, used for all ages. They're definitely um, compatible with uh, with high school all the way to high school physics, and they can definitely be used for it by uh, younger kids too. It's, and and it's ultimately multimodal. I mean, this is one of the few approaches that that involves all learning modalities. Yeah, yeah. I think um, just jumping off that multimodal, I was watching a video that you did, Victor, with the San Diego Symphony. And like you that. had one of those acoustic plates and yeah. the sand on there. Definitely. Yeah. I love that. And, you know, I don't know how you, how you hooked that up. That was pretty cool to be around the symphony, but I was really struck because you said at a higher frequency and you could see it visually in the video that it's the, the sand started to self-organize and organize in this complex shape uh -huh. at, at this higher frequency. And anytime I hear the word complex, because that's my, my focus is in complexity, I'm thinking self-organization, you know, my, my ears pick up. And, and I wonder, you know, going back, I'm going to press you a little bit. You mentioned something about really, you know, education and the way that we educate in physics and math. And I, I kind of feel that you're, you're talking about the way that we're approaching it is very linear. Mm -hmm. And that there's this complexity, whether we call it integration or multimodal. I don't know what you mean by linear. In the linear sense of, you know, right now in education, we, we have math. We have the standards of math that you had kind of mentioned, you know, maybe not be appropriate for somebody who is not going to build a computer. And then we assess. So that's kind of our process. I think, yes. So yeah. if we're dealing and working with art and music and physics, and it is the art of physics and the art of math, it, it lends to this idea of complexity. And that's what struck me when you mentioned the complexity at this higher frequency. So my question to you is thinking about what you just said. I mean, that was kind of like laying down the gauntlet a little bit about, you know, how, how would you, if you were able to just reinvent, reimagine the approach to physics and math, what would that look like? Um, thanks. Thanks for the question. I, I think about these um, a lot. Um, I would say, so I, in my program, I connect um, science and life through the aesthetic experience and through the pre-existing interest that the students have in um, in music. Um, I think that is definitely important and it works. My program works. I have um, quantitative data showing that, that it works. Um, but I think in general, that that is not the only uh, point of connection. I think, I think all education should be good for the kid. And that's not to say the adult that the kid is going to be. That is to say the kid today. I think if a kid 
complains and says, and if a kid needs to ask, hey, wh- why, I, why do I need to study this? I think, I think we fail already at that point. Um, so definitely the connection with arts um, gives whatever they are studying a, a sense of purpose. Um, but, uh, but not only that, there's many things, um, for example, shop, that's something that the kids love. You, you can, you can like just making a chair can change. I think it can change a kid's life. You know, like you can use your hands to do something useful and, and you know, all, all that is there to learn by making a chair. Mm-hmm. Not only that, but you'll be teaching science in a way that if the student chooses, as they will most likely do, not to become an engineer, they can much easier become builders. What, what you've just said completely resonated with me. I come from an era, probably the sort of last dying gasp of auto shop and, and wood shop. And I remembered that my mathematical epiphany, the only way I was able to understand math was through actual set design in community college where it suddenly dawned upon me. And I think, you know, uh, you know, what I'm very much appreciative of your, your speaking compellingly about the interweave of disciplines. What also strikes me is that there are real social, emotional and metacognitive elements of what you do, um, sort of bringing not only a joy to learning, but a, a joy to the epiphany um, and really cultivating those whatever you call them, 21st century essential skills, what used to be called soft skills, but this idea of building out resilience and, uh, you know, those types of things. And I wonder if you could um, speak to those, the socio-emotional and metacognitive elements of your work. Um, I would say something that is pretty missing in in science education um, is a sense of excitement. I don't. I don't know if I should call that a skill. In a way, calling that a skill, I'm, I'm not into skills. I'm, I'm not into like people talks about grit and resilience. That doesn't resonate with me. I don't think I have grit. I don't think I have resilience. I'm. I'm just passionate about what I do, um, and uh, that sometimes carries the idea of that like science has to be hard. And then you have to struggle to go through it. I, I look at things from a, from a different uh, point of view. I think science has to be exciting. And when something is exciting, it might be hard, but you still want to do it. So there is not, I think the, the quality is not resilience. The quality is, is passion. I love what you just said, because... I was on a research study where we were studying creativity. And one of the things um, that we were thinking about is, is creativity, the, the process of being creative, just practicing curiosity. It's that, it's that first why, that, that joy of the why. You know, wh- why is the sky blue? You know, and I'm thinking about it from a mom and, and having children and seeing, um, you know, the babbling and the sound. You're already kind of connecting with your environment. But then also you start asking why, why, why? 
you know, and many parents are like, there's books about, you know, how to, how to handle that. And it's like, how do you let that go? How do you just let them go and ask all these questions? And, and, oh, Victor, it's just that, that piece, the passion. And then Morgan, what you were saying, the joy, you know, the joy of being able to, to interact with your culture and your community and your environment in that way. It is joy that we, sometimes I feel we, we really lost that in the institution. How would you feel joy unless you're a super weird kid, <laughs> which I mean, it's great that there are weird people like this. And now I was kind of weird like that too, but unless you're a super weird kid, how can you feel joy if you have to learn polynomials? And I mean, I, I studied physics. I love, I, I learned to love polynomials at some point in my life. But, you know, you're in like, I don't know, ninth grade and you go and like sit down and then somebody says, I, I will teach you polynomials. And you don't even know how to build a stool. You don't know how to use a ruler. Uh, is is so disembodied that um, I think it's rare that somebody can feel joy while doing that. So, so Victor, how did you manage to make it through then? Because I, I'm I, I'm sure that that the teachers uh, with whom you've interacted may not have had the same attitude or, or taught the same way. How did you get through it? How did you find joy? I think I didn't find that much joy in schools, in, in those classes. I, I went to pretty weird uh, schools. I, went, I actually went to good schools. Um, but, for example, in math class at some point, they were pretty progressive schools. And at some point, the teacher bluffed and said, okay, if, if you don't want to be here, you're welcome to step out of the classroom. And I, didn't, I, I just went into the hallway and I didn't show up to the math class for like six months. Um, or I was sleeping. I, I slept a lot in school. I, I draw, I slept, and I, I skipped class. Um, and then I I carried them over. The, I think that's how you say it uh, in English. So I just, at some point, um, when I had to, I finally had to study it. I, I lost some like time in my, in my summers. Um, I put some extra effort. So as, as, um, I was, uh, I mean, I, I learned in like two or three weeks what, uh, what I should have, what I was expected to learn in six months, uh, which also tells you something about what we are doing in those six months, you know, all the unnecessary stuff that we're doing in those six months. Um, and, uh, yeah, I had other great, I actually learned a lot in school, but I, in, in this, in, in one of the schools I went to, we, I mean, and this was, um, a few years ago when this was still possible, but I would go to the, uh, corner, uh, coffee shop with my, uh, sociology teachers and just have beers and talk about sociology and, and philosophy. And they were college students. They would take us to their, uh, seminars on Heidegger, um, and I love that. So those are those are actually really good experiences that I had in in high school. Uh, but in um, 
yeah, science, science was pretty good, except for one class, which was really interesting. Sorry, science was bad. One class was very interesting in, in which we were uh, debating the ethics of biology and all the kids in the class, they were engaged and yelling at each other, like talking about abortion and there were very different views. Um, and uh, I would say we were, we were learning while debating the ethics, we were learning uh, biology for sure too. So that, 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 was, a, that was a good class. Uh, but yeah, if you're, yeah, at some point you graduate from high school. That's how it is. You know, everybody, most people graduate. Yeah. I don't, I don't know if that necessarily bodes well when we're talking about our, our K through 12, when you start to think about, um, do we have that sense of community? Do we approach it? from the question and the passion and the sharing, you know, that, that also struck me a lot, Victor, because, you know, I, I would, I theorize that we really cannot learn without collaboration, that, you know, we're, we're each other's foils for yeah. that. And so it's, it's like, how do we, do we build those communities, Morgan, in, in K2? Well, you K-2 know, it's, well? It's interesting because I really uh, start to get the feeling that, um, you know, it's not solely excitement around content, but it's also excitement around environment. Now, I can, you know, my high school experience is is markedly different from your own, um, but I can imagine, you know, having that experience, going to a college debate, um, you know, speaking more freely and really uh, engaging in these community discussions, um, you know, I think would have made things a a lot more different for me in terms of, uh, you know, the joy that I would find in learning. Because for me, it was a long road back to that. And I think... uh, Lisa, I, I agree with you. We we are community because we are proximate to one another in a classroom, mm-hmm. but we are not a community in the truest sense of the word. And Victor, I'm sorry, you said something that also just struck me was if if a student says they're I don't want to do this, I'm bored. We've already failed. Boom. Yeah. I mean, they, and, and how much sensory perception of the environment goes into them saying like, oh, slumping in their chair and like yeah. and checking out. I, the kids are sensory deprived. They are sensory deprived and physically deprived. I, I've done stuff in which they have to uh, cut pipes or just like nail nails. And they just want to, you know, um, which is. Great that I give them that opportunity. And this is beyond all the understanding of waves, you know? I, I was actually surprised that the kids were just so engaged in doing these things. And that's because, I this is my interpretation, they need to do stuff. They need to move, you know? Um, you were saying something related to community, which I think is worth emphasizing. And it also relates to something that you mentioned before uh, Morgan related to the um, uh, 21st century skills mm-hmm. um, uh, regarding collaboration. Um, in the world of work, collaboration is not something that is, is organic. Collaboration is necessary. Um, and 
in school is sort of needs uh, right now it needs to be sort of forced in um and i think that's in part related to um the fact that in schools there's not enough emphasis on the product that the students are creating because uh, there's a lot of emphasis on scoring each student uh, based on some uh, piece of knowledge that I think is mostly useless or is generally useless. Um, I think if you um, if we created an educational system that is more focused on the products uh, that would uh, enhance the collaboration and it would be better for for the world of work too i mean a, a company i think a, a company will be more likely to hire you because you participated in a class i'm talking i'm talking college and i know this happens because andrea my my mentor says that it happens to her all the time she teaches a class on um, I think uh, motivation in in education or something like that. By the way, she would be a great sub, a, a great uh, interviewee for you. She's she's amazing. Um, and uh, her students tell her that they get um, hired after college because of the thing that they created in her class. Mm-hmm. Um, and I have I have students that have interned with me, and they're folk, they on personal piles classes, and they don't they didn't seem to care that much. Why? Because they care about their grade. They're not going to get hired. Yes, that's powerful for me having um, the experience of placing interns at different sites throughout San Diego. Because part of the collaboration, when you talk about a skill, it's really the precision of what that means, and I think. You've really struck a chord, Victor, because, you know, is should it be the caveat uh, collaboration with joy, mm. collaboration in purpose, collaboration as, a, you know, with a, a defining product, as opposed to just kind of this unknown concept of collaboration. Yeah. yeah. We all collaborate. So yeah. we all inherently know how to do that to survive. Yeah. yeah. So what are you really trying to say? And I think. That's where we can step in and reimagining what learning is. And, and it's interesting because when we talk about collaboration, which is a very abstract concept, as are a lot of the 21st century skills, which are really somewhat of an artificial construct, because really what we are, you know, swimming against the tide um, is a, a system of schooling that dates back at least to the Industrial Revolution that is very solitary, that is very much uh, regimented and very much rigid. So what we wind up doing, you know, based on what we believe higher education or the world of work needs, is we provide this overlay of, of 21st century skills like collaboration, like communication, things that that do happen organically. And if we do wind up changing the entirety of the system would probably be built in rather than sort of a an afterthought or an overlay. Perfectly said, Morgan. Perfectly yeah, I, said. I, I think if we built a system that is based more on the immediate interest and, and needs of kids, and, and the products that they will 
that they could create and the skills, the life skills that they, they could acquire for now, for their present life, um, I think uh, things like collaboration and communication will just happen organically. I think so too. I I think let's let's jump off then off that question, Morgan, with Victor and and Victor. We're giving you carte blanche. So you're you're the school designer. You're the school reimaginer. If you if if we could you know get to that place. And all the obstacles were, you know, uh, the Red Sea is parted. What what does the idea of schooling with kind of the student focus, their self-directed learning that you've kind of talked a little bit about, arts-infused, science, what, what does that look like? What do you reimagine learning to be in the next 10 years? How I would create it? Um, I would put a lot of emphasis in things like, uh, yeah, definitely arts, um, but, uh, but a lot of emphasis in, in construction. Um, and I, I, I don't think what's happening in schools is separated of the way that, that society is organized. Um, I think so. I, I think we need to talk about society as a whole. So, if you allow me, since I have carte blanche, sure. I would like to reorganize uh, society. Um, I think we live in a society that is very credentialist, um, and that also creates a lot of elitism. So, we have the doctors, the medical doctors, and we have the nurses. No matter that they might know exactly the same things. But the doctors will be doctors, the nurses will be nurses, and there are different paths. We have the structural engineers, and we have the contractors, and then we have the roofers, you know? So it's like it's almost like different uh, qualities of people, and these are paths that, that bifurcate um, very young. So if... And, and what is happening now is that because there's so much credentialism, which means that you have to study uh, 10 years to get a credential for something. And then uh, over one day after you take your exam, you take your bar or whatever, you take your exam, you're like a different person, which I think is ridiculous because you're not a different person. Um, oh, and, and, the, and the college system um, feeds to that credentialism. And then what is happening is that the K through 12 system feeds to the college system. That, that is something that's a tragedy. We want to, we want, we tell the kids, this is like on like, when they start first grade, this is your first day on your path to college. And only 50% of the kids will go to college. What's gonna happen with the other 50%? They'll be, um, they'll be frustrated. And then the subjects that are taught in schools are meant to be the things that kids that will get kids into college, you know? So, and that's how we end up teaching things that are totally irrelevant. So if I was to restructure society, um, I, I would hope that knowledge is in a way more, more easily distributed. So you can acquire blocks of knowledge that allow you to to make different things that, that, and that allow you to, 
if you're a really good electrician and you want to um, continue studying, you might end up being an electrical engineer. You know, I'm, I'm, I'm pretty exaggerating. I didn't research this particular case. Um, so I think one, I think once we create this utopical society um, in which knowledge is more distributed, um, it would be easier um, to have uh, a high school class in which, as in which students are learning the fundamentals of building a house, for example. By the way, there's a shortage of plumbers. There's a shortage of electricians. And there's an overabundance of engineers that never touch a screwdriver, um, which I know is a problem for, for yeah, in, in engineering schools. So, yeah, I, w- I would hope that someday there's more, the knowledge is, is more integrated across society. It's, it's an amazing cascade effect that, that you talk about, Victor, where it starts societally with sort of our, our um, credentialism that spills over into college, college pressures, K-12, and it really all becomes uh, all about, well, what is the job at the end of this? Where is the employment at the end of this? Which certainly seems to me to, to sap a lot of the joy of, of learning for the sake of learning. Yeah, I think we're on a path to reimagine learning as maybe the pursuit of knowledge, the practicing of our own curiosity. Yeah. And I see that in the work that I've um, had the privilege to, to watch. And I know you have your website, um, listening to waves.com. So uh, Morgan, on behalf of, of Morgan Appel and myself, Victor, I just appreciate you spending the time with us and letting us, um, pick your brain a little bit and dream. And, you know, hopefully we can invite you back to maybe dive deeper into this understanding of creativity and knowledge and, and physics. It. Oh, it's always physics. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and thanks, thanks for uh, allowing me to say these things that I've been thinking uh, so much about and, and advocate for this alternative uh, view of society and education. Mm-hmm. Thank you so very much, Victor.